Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Thank you so much to Skylight for putting this event together and setting things up um, for a beautiful, beautiful celebration of uh, the uniting of children's literature and feminism. I'll start by introducing myself. My name is Chelsea Johnson. I'm a Chicagoland native, and I use the pronouns she, her, and hers. And my name is Latoya Council. I was born and raised in North Carolina, and I also use the pronouns she, her, and hers. Hi, I'm Carolyn. I was born and raised here in LA, and I also use the pronoun she, her, hers. Since there's not that many of us, we want to introduce ourselves. Ooh, yes. yes. I'd like to get to know you. Well, it's intimate. Who would like to go <laughs> first? Thank you. Hey, Jonathan. Hi, John. <laughs> three sociologists who use intersectional feminism in our work. And intersectional feminism believes that multiple identities and social structure should always be in conversation with each other. Um, writing Intersection Allies was our way to make theory more accessible to, mo to those who are most vulnerable among us. So we envision this book as a teaching tool for feminist-minded teachers, practitioners, educators, and caregivers. We believe that a forward-thinking feminism must include children, and that children's literature is the gateway to educating entire households. Some people might think that elementary schoolers are too young to think about politics and identity, but kids are more aware of the world around them than adults tend to assume, especially kids who run up against social problems every day due to poverty, incarceration, racism, sexism, xenophobia, and homophobia. When we ignore the most vulnerable among us, we end up centering those with the most power. The results? Kids learn about what middle, white middle-class life as if it is the status quo, and they learn to second-guess their own voices, and they learn to devalue the perspectives of their working-class peers and their peers of color. So parents, future parents, or aunties, uncles, by show of hands, how many of you had that experience growing up that we just talked about? All right, so did we. Yes. 
So now let's talk about the book. We transformed feminist research by scholars into simple character narratives told in rhyme. Nine characters from diverse backgrounds introduced themselves, showing how their experiences of childhood and safety are shaped by other intersecting identities, like race, class, citizenship, gender, religion, culture, and more. So for the fun part, are you ready to meet the characters? <laughs> oh, come on, are you ready to meet the characters? Okay, so we'll be asking questions questions throughout, and you all can pipe in, so listen up and get prizes. Our prize handouters, raise your hand. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Dana White, some intersection voluntold. allies. They were voluntold. <laughs> voluntold. Thank you all. All right. So we're going to step in front of this because it's easier to see. My name is Alejandra, but I go by Allie. I use a chair, but it doesn't define me. Instead, it allows me to zip glide and play. When I need to get through, my friends help make a way. Where there's room for some, we make room for all. Friends can be allies, no matter how small. <laughs> Hello, I'm Parker. After school every day, Allie's family takes care of us both while we play. My mom works hard to provide for me. Her love is the source of our stability. Not toys or money, nor treasures untold. Community care is more precious than gold. Now communities are made up of friends, families, neighbors, classmates, and anyone you spend time with. So Carolyn and Latoya are part of my community. Um, think about the people that you spend time with every day. Who's part of your community? Your neighbors. Okay. Church. Church friends. Your brother. <laughs> friends you go out with, friends you party with. Skirts and frills are cute, I suppose, but my superhero cape is more cape than those bows. Some may be confused that a kid like me can wear what I want and be proud and carefree. My friends defend my choices and place a bathroom like all rooms should be a safe space. <laughs> My name is 
Sophila, and just like Kate, what I wear inspires endless debate. Some give, some chant, some sing, some pray. My hijab is my choice, and you can choose your own way. Clothes that you wear never justify hatred. Clothes can be playful, simple, or sacred. Covered, adorned, or with casual flair, my body's my own. I dress it with care. So every culture and community gives meaning to clothing, dress, and style. One way to gain respect for different groups of people around the world is to think about why their clothes are important for them. For example, my locks make me feel proud of my heritage, strength and beauty as a black woman. What are some of the things that you all wear that in your culture and community that have a special meaning for you? My name is Anaya, and with what's on the news, it's easy to be frightened or sing the blues. For her, for them, for him, and for me, we all deserve to breathe and be free. The color of our skin is no reason to hide. We protest for safety, equality, and pride. Our friends join along with solidarity and love. This is the stuff that allies are made of. Safety also includes, includes our trees and air, the land we've called home, our places of prayer. I am Dakota, and like my ancestors, my tribe and I are water protectors. From profit and power, we stand up to preserve our nation, our cultures, the respect we deserve. So Dakota, the name Dakota means friend or ally in the Lakota Sioux language. Um, many of the names in the book also have a special meaning. Um, and for a lot of us, their names have a special meaning. So for example, my middle name is Elise, um, and my mom chose it because it was her middle name growing up. And when she got married, she made her last name her middle name, and she really felt a lot of sorrow in losing her identity in the name Elise. So when I was born, she saved it Korean, my name is Autumn, and Ah means in Chinese characters, uh, means beautiful, and Dung means crisp and clear skies. And so um, it meant so much to me that I got a tattoo of it on my arm. Oh. <laughs> and I love my name Latoya because it's unique. I used to be ashamed of it because people would say that Latoya is too black, too ethnic, and in some cases they were like, it's too ghetto. But as I've grown older, I've embraced my name because, and have a pride from it. It makes me feel unique because I've never been in a space where there's just been more than one Latoya. <laughs> Do, oh, 
Does anyone here know where their name comes from or what it means? My name is Gloria y tengo siete años. After school is to la frutería I go. Trabajo cada día junto a mi madre. Vendemos piña dulce y mangos con chile. My language and savvy allow us to thrive. I got hopes and dreams and skills and drive. Working together makes us both more secure. I'm a daughter, a partner, and an entrepreneur. Does anyone here want to learn Korean or know Korean? Occasionally. Oh, can you do it for us? <laughs> <laughs> let's see. All right. Let's see how long it takes. 
probably too long, but 사랑해. 사랑해. means love. 사�angye. 사�angye. We're going to like this in pictures. <laughs> or this. 사�angye. Finding refuge meant traveling far from home. I sailed, I flew, I rode, I roamed. Escaping violence, war, heartache, and intrusion, we came to this nation seeking dreams and inclusion. From near, from far, from here, from there, we're more than our origins, we all deserve care.
making room, I think about voting. Um, and I know that that's a privilege that not everybody has. Um, and so when I think about it, I think about like our laws and our policies and the way that they don't always account for everybody. Um, and you know, there's sometimes it feels like there's few ways to, to make a difference or to make room, but the ways in which we can think about other people who don't have the same abilities or the same privileges we have and using what we do have to that to consider other people's stories and their life circumstances. All right, and that actually leads us, Chelsea, um, what everyone else said into it beautiful segue towards our end of our discussion that as you saw in the book safety for Naya an African-American child in a climate of racism means a different form of advocacy than for Adila a Muslim child who is facing Islamophobia and sexism likewise safety for Kate a gender fluid child can be achieved differently than for Gloria who is a child of immigrants and whose status protects her mother while selling food on the street to help their family stay safe and get by. So that's the whole point of making room. And it's beautiful when we make room for others because it does end up, you know, just empowering and just helping us and helping us grow as individuals as well. The power of love, the power of intersectionality. <laughs> Is there a character that spoke to any of you all or that resonated? That's it. Oh, Thank you.
why they're involved with sexual predators? Like, what, what does Fox News have to say about this topic? So I think our, our um, favorite experience of reading the books with kids was at a third grade classroom in South LA. Um, and we were worried because we were like, oh no, you know, have we broken it down enough? And like, is this the right age group? Um, because the, the words are easy enough to read and the rhyming makes it simple, but will they be able to think about or to see themselves in the characters? And we were totally blown away with their responses and their ability to join in. Um, and I think that, um, you know, kind of what we were speaking about in the beginning when, you, when you're seeing um, stories that are about, you know, kids with a lot of privilege, the first time that you don't, it's like, oh, I, I go back to Guatemala every Christmas, and that's where I see my grandparents. And so there were a lot of personal narratives. Um, and one of the reasons, like, I think that made that more possible is writing in a first-person perspective um, and allowing kids to see that their own experiences are sources of knowledge. Because um, oftentimes we don't think that, or we learn that like, way late in life that our experiences can teach us things. Um, and so kids were joining in, um, reading the words with us. For littler kids, like little, little kids, I was reading this with my two-year-old niece, um, and the thing that she loved most was the cat. So I don't know if you noticed, but there's a cat that makes its way in some form across like almost every page. So for like the really little kids who are just like enjoying the rhyme and like hearing words and, and, and your voice just out loud, like that is what is the most delightful. Well, so we started with research. Um, and a lot of the characters are inspired by researchers that we, we know and love and that are colleagues of ours. So that really helped us, like thinking about people whose work um, we could make shine in, in a way that's different from the form that they're used to writing in. So for example, He Jung's character who's translating for her mom from um, Korean to English, that's our friend Hey Young Kwan's work. Um, and she interviewed um, like dozens and dozens, dozens of children in Los Angeles um, about their experiences. And so thinking about like how we can show that work while also teaching a lesson. Like Gloria as well um, is a work of Amir Estrada, who also graduated from USC and is now at ASU, and interviewed kids who street vend in Los Angeles with their parents. And at the time, street vending was criminalized. It's recently become decriminalized. So understanding how citizenship protects um, their parents as um, people who may have been born in the United States, but their parents were not. Um, so some of those characters, it was like, it could have been anything, but some of it was like, all right, here are our friends, and like, what's a way to make this the most collective book in every circumstance by like lifting people we love up and um, taking inspiration from people we knew? Oh. <laughs> Do you have a question? Yeah. 
Oh, yes. So we actually, um, can you all hear me fine? Yeah. yeah. Okay, perfect. Because I have, yeah, I can project. So we actually, um, to, it's really interesting. We all studied intersectionality in undergrad. Chelsea and I were at undergrad at the same time at Spelman College and HBCU. While Carolyn was studying intersectionality in her work at UCLA, working with migrant communities, um, women's groups. And from there, we so we came into academia, grad school, with a working knowledge of intersectionality. But how we got to the book was two conversations that were going on at the same time. So the first began at an academic conference in 2017, where Carolyn and I, we were on a plane going to the conference, um, Sociologists for Women in Society, talking about how intersectionality is a it's a word that we use, we theorize it often in the academy, but we don't apply it into like every, making sure that it has access to everyday people, everyday lives, where they can use this tool, use this word to see better opportunities and really talk about the structure. While that conversation was happening, um, Chelsea and Carolyn were attending more of the women's marches here in Los Angeles, and they also noticed that intersectionality was around but again, it was still in a very white, middle-class, women-dominated narrative in space, and it wasn't being used to make room for other folks um, on the margins. So we brought those conversations together, and we decided to create a children's book. How do you define, I may have missed it, intersectionality against what is that? Yes, yes. So intersectionality um, is a theory that emerges from black feminism, it's really explaining how identities and ideologies and institutions intersect. So often like when something happens to us, um, it can feel like it's coming from multiple directions, um, but we think of it as a one-way street. So it's a way of saying like this experience I'm having, for example, and my work is around race and beauty. So my experience around having natural hair in the workplace um, is not just about my race, it's also about my gender. It's a way of talking about how these things intersect. And when you look at the multiple influences, how you can have a fuller picture or explanation of why you're feeling a certain thing or what experience is happening. Mm -hmm. So in the book, we're all of the kids are children. So age is another intersection um, where you mm -hmm. get privileges or you don't have privileges. So that's something that we hold constant in the book. And then what each character um, is demonstrating is how when you add another layer onto that, um, for example, you might add religion and culture for a dila who's wearing a hijab and sexism as a woman, a Muslim woman. Um, it's not just her religion, it's not just her um, gender, and it's also culture, a culture of living in um, a society that um, thinks of that as other. So it's a way of holding multiple things up at the same time. I hope that helps. And we have a diagram here to help with with the detailed um, explanation. Yeah. So that what is intersectionality? We wrote it down. Yeah, <laughs> we wrote it. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. We are at Libros Schmibros tomorrow in Boyle Heights at 4 p.m. for the reading hour. Um, and then we'll be in New York for Drag Queen Story Hour at the Brooklyn Public Library. Um, and then we go to Atlanta. We're doing stuff at Spelman because, you know, we're alumni and we had to. 
Um, so we're DC. going there and share with books. DC, DC. at Politics and Prose. North Carolina. Um, North Carolina, the Brooklyn Book Festival in September. So we're all over. We're making the round. We're making it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Daughter Press is a feminist publisher. Um, so the editor-in-chief is Jennifer Baumgartner. She was formerly a feminist press. Um, and so they publish books by feminists for everyone, um, a wide variety of books, not just children's books. There are um, a couple others. Astro Baby is by daughter. Um, uh, Jacuzzi and the Night Gasket, which is the first children's book to feature a sex worker as a parent um, in a really beautiful way. Um, there's also Not My Idea by Anastasia Higginbotham, which is about a book about whiteness. Um, but also there are books Please read this leaflet carefully, which is about, I think, endometriosis. It's a reflective memoir. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a, it's, a, it's a new press, actually. It's her new venture, and her thought behind it of like leaving feminist press and starting Daughter was thinking about feminist writing and feminist literature um, beyond the second wave. So a lot of the big institutions in feminism were, came out in the 70s. Um, and she was hoping to do something different. So her books are Manifesta. I'm sure Manifesta, I think, in the early 2000s, which is about and another book about bisexuality. Um, and so her goal and mission with Daughter is to just expand the feminist publishing landscape. Yeah. New York. Thank you, and thank you for your questions. They were great. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.